Hello, and welcome to BYU After Me Too. I'm Angela. As you probably already guessed from the title, my goal in creating this podcast is to figure out if and how the Me Too movement has affected BYU campus. I want to better understand the experiences of sexual assault survivors at BYU. Here are a few of the questions I have that I'd like to find answers to. One, what is the experience of sexual assault survivors at BYU? Two, how have sexual assault cases been handled in the past, and how are they being handled now? Three, how has the Me Too movement affected BYU campus? As uncomfortable and frightening as it is to think about the realities of sexual assault on BYU campus, it is so important to recognize that these things do happen and that BYU has not always made this a safe place for sexual assault survivors to come forward. So thank you for being willing to hear these stories. Now, this is episode one, and I have thought for a long time about how I want to kick this off. I've gone back and forth with thinking about explaining how BYU used to handle sexual assault cases versus how they handle them now, discussing attitudes students and faculty have about sexual assault, and have had a few other ideas bouncing around in my head. But I think the most important component to any discussion about sexual assault survivors is the survivors themselves. So for our first episode, we're going to start at the source by hearing one BYU survivor's story. She's asked that she remain anonymous, so I'll refer to her as Nicole, which is not her real name. Before we get started, I just want to give a trigger and content warning. She does describe the details of her sexual assault, and this may be disturbing to some listeners. So if you think you may be triggered by this content, you may want to wait for the next episode, which will be about BYU students' attitudes about sexual assault. So just to give you some context about Nicole and to introduce her, she was a freshman at BYU when she was raped by a man she met on Mutual. Here's Nicole. my first semester at BYU. This was uh, fall 2016. Okay. Um, and I, you know, was enjoying the new freedom and stuff and all my friends were dating and I had had like relationships in high school, but I didn't really date around a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got on some of those dating apps, uh, specifically Mutual and Bumble, because I'd heard Tinder was, like, really creepy, so I didn't mm-hmm. get on Tinder. But, um, you know, Mutual, I felt like there was this sense of trust that you could have was that, like, oh, these are LDS people. They're likely a BYU student. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it felt a lot more innocent than, like, the other ones. Because the other ones, let's be real, they're for, like, making out and stuff with right. people. It's not really for <laughs> relationships. Um So my roommate and I both made mutual accounts, and we went on a lot of dates. And, like, the majority of them were just fine. Maybe a little awkward because, like, when you have access to that many people, you know, like, we just didn't get a whole lot of second dates, but we had, like, a date every week. We got a whole lot of free food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I had been using it, like, for that semester, maybe, like, a month or two of that semester, and I felt comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Like, I'd had mostly good experiences, like, chalked up the lack of success, if you say, to maybe just, like, oh, like, you know, there are a lot of fish in the sea, (laughs) and it's not a big deal if they don't, like, text you back or whatever. Um, So I matched with this guy who, um, his profile said that he went to BYU, and um, 
it was a little bit vague. It had something funny in the bio. I don't remember what it was. Um, but he seemed like kind of like maybe this little bit mysterious, but kind of like quirky, like funny guy kind of thing. And so the messages that we sent to each other were like, um, you know, suggestive. Like, like I knew that he probably wanted to make out, which was like a, a point that I wasn't uncomfortable going to, mm-hmm. you know, like it's Nicomo culture in Provo. That's yeah. what people do. Um, and so I knew that would probably happen. Um, so he came to pick me up. I was living in the dorms and he came to pick me up and like, looking back, I realized how foolish like it is for any girl to do that, to get in a stranger's car and drive somewhere. It's, <laughs> it's dumb. But at the time I felt safe. Yeah. When you're um, 18, things don't seem unsafe. You kind of feel yeah. like, oh, nothing bad's going to happen to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was barely 18, you yeah. know, like I... At the time, I did not think I was naive, but I definitely was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got in the car. We went to his apartment. Um, and there were, like, it looked like there was a group date happening there already. It was in December, and there were, like, some Christmas, like, decorations. They might have been, like, making cookies or something. Mm-hmm. They are all watching a movie in the living room. And so I was like, oh, we're going to watch a movie. And so, like, that seemed kind of fun to me. And then he was like, actually, like, let's let's go in my room. So this is where it gets difficult. And this is where the kind of honor code implications come up. Right. Um, so I went in his room, which I was like a little nervous about, mostly just because all of his roommates were there. Like he seemed so nice and so friendly. He's asking me about my classes and mm-hmm. like it, it didn't feel predatory at all, which is how predators get away with it. But, right. Um, we were in his room and he was showing me, he'd like built this 3D printer. He was like showing me that. And then like he shut the door and I was like, all right, this is, I'm a little worried about this cause you know, we could get in a lot of trouble. Um, and he had a TV in his room and he turned on a movie. It was some like, I don't remember what movie it was. Um, but we were watching it and at first it was like almost awkward cause we were like not sitting close to each other or whatever. Um, and then, like, we kind of started, like, I don't know, making out, which, I, I like, I was not bothered by that, mm-hmm. you know, because I kind of figured it was going to happen. He was cute, and yeah. I was like, who cares? I'm 18. I can go make out with a boy if I want to. You know, I'm allowed to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and things just sort of, kind of started progressing a little bit more, and, like, granted, I was... I had had sex before, which poses, like, a whole new set of challenges, I think, trying to keep the law of chastity. Yeah. Because it's not, like, this, like, you know, I want to use the word innocuous. I don't think that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, but I know what you mean. It wasn't some unknown. Exactly. It wasn't wasn't mysterious. (laughs) Yeah, and that that mystery of it, I think, is what often, like, lets... Like keeps people safe. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Because sure. they're like, oh, I've never done this. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. But when you've done it and you're familiar with it and you've been in long-term sexual relationships with people before, then it's hard. And you hear about this like with divorced members of the church. They yeah, have a really for sure. hard time. Um, so these like alarms that, you know, probably most people would have had were not going off in my head. Mm-hmm. It was going too far. And it was about the point where um, like, 
my shirt was off and his was off and he was like taking off his pants Mm -hmm. that I was like, um, like, I don't know about this. And and, like, I'm not a super forward person. So I wasn't just going to be like, stop. Mm -hmm. First of all, he was my ride. I didn't want to like offend him. Like, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know Provo that well. Um, I was at some apartment where I I didn't really know where I was. Um, So, you know, what was I going to do? Like, just walk out, like, try and find my way home. It was freezing outside. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was trying to be, like, nice, which frustrates me now because I'm like, they don't deserve being nice, you know, Mm -hmm. if they're doing that. But um, he just kept pressuring me and saying things like, it's okay, like, nobody's going to know. It's not a big deal. I mean, at that point, I was very uncomfortable because, like, I'd worked hard to feel like I could be at BYU. Yeah. Um, and I'd worked hard to overcome some of the really bad habits that I had before. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd been doing drugs. I'd been drinking in high school. And um, I started to get really uncomfortable. And things just progressed to the point where um, I started to feel a little bit scared because he was being really aggressive and pushy and he was not, like, respecting what I wanted Mm -hmm. um, or didn't want. And um, so he took off the rest of my clothes and um, proceeded to rape me. Um, And I I felt, like, paralyzed. I... It was kind of like an out-of-body experience. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about, like, the rest of what happened. I remember I was crying, and he took his blankets and, like, put them in my mouth. um, Because we were just, like, right on the other side of the living room where all of his roommates were. Um, And I, I don't know. I didn't fight. I didn't know what to do. I was, like, paralyzed with fear. Um, And it was really tricky because, I don't know, he could have hurt me. He was a lot bigger than I am. And um, I just, I didn't know what to do. Like, I knew that if I started screaming, one of his roommates would have come in. Mm -hmm. But that's not a situation I wanted (laughs) to be found in. Um, And so I don't remember like the ride home or anything because like after he finished I'm pretty sure I he just took me home um I remember getting back to the dorms and being like kind of in this trance like not knowing what to do and I went into my um the girl who lived right across the hall from me was one of my really good friends and so I like just kind of wandered in there because um, they kept their door unlocked, so I was, like, walked in there. Um, and I kind of told her, like, hey, something happened. And she didn't really say a whole lot. She, she was, like, trying to, or, sorry, I didn't say a whole lot. She was trying to, like, get me to tell her what happened. And she was, like, well, like, did he rape you? And I was, like, I don't know. Because I had that confusion, because I was, like, I let it get to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember if I said, no, stop. I remember crying 
I like I remember not wanting it to happen which like consent does not have to be like just because someone doesn't say no doesn't mean you have their consent like if your partner's anything but enthusiastic then you need verbal consent you know absolutely yeah so that was a tricky thing and I remember um I went I like talked to her for a little bit and then I went and I grabbed a blanket and there were some benches outside of my dorm building and it was probably like midnight at this point and so I just went there and like sat there and I like went to look at my mutual account to look at the person's profile and he had like blocked me and so I didn't know his last name I had never even I didn't even have his phone number I'd only messaged him on the app Mm -hmm. um it's like I don't know it could have been a fake name I don't know um And I remember him saying something about, like, you got to keep this on the down low or something, which makes me think, well, what if he did think it was consensual? Hmm. You know, like, he just doesn't want to get in trouble now because he was a BYU student. Um, So I went outside, and I think I was texting a friend from home who she, like, was leaving on her mission, like, a week later. Um, I just had no idea what to do. So this got tricky because this was 2016 before the um, Title IX office split with the honor code. Right, yeah. So um, I really struggled knowing what to do because I knew he was a BYU student. I knew he was likely going to be in this situation with other girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I didn't even know his name. Like, I knew his first name, what I thought was his first name, mm-hmm. um, which normally, like, I had been really careful on those apps. Like, I would text them for, like, a week before actually meeting up with them. I'd have their social media. Like, I'd know who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think I just got so familiar using them because I was going on a, li- a lot of dates from those apps that I started, stop, like, stopped being so careful. Right. Um, which is foolish. But um, so I didn't feel like I could go to the honor code office because I was like well I went in his room like I let things get to a certain point that they probably wouldn't be cool with Mm -hmm. but there was a point where I didn't want it anymore and I couldn't remember like it was so like it I was just I couldn't remember if I had said no because I was traumatized. Like, I didn't know what to do. Right. Um, And so I think it was like that January or something or that they announced the split with the Title IX office. Um, So, like, at that point, I knew that I probably could have gone. But I just felt so powerless. I felt like it's his word against mine. And I know what the honor code's track record is about believing men. Right. And not women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And I was terrified. I mean, that makes sense, right? Like, I didn't want to get kicked out of school. Yeah, of course. I worked really hard to be here. I didn't want to deal with the shame. But as I was sitting there outside that night, like, I was thinking either, like, I'm going to get reported or if I speak up about what happened to me, I'm going to get sent home. And I was literally thinking, like, can I deal with the shame of having my parents come up and get me hmm. and getting all my stuff and leaving, you know? Yeah. And, like, I'd had 
a spectacular experience my freshman year so far. Like, I had made the best friends I'd ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. I, like, was feeling devoted to the gospel again. I was, like, so happy. And so, yeah, the thought of, like, turning him in and therefore, like, implicating myself, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Which I sometimes still feel guilty about. Really? Yeah. Um, Mostly just because what if he did that to someone else? Mm -hmm. Like, what if he's a dangerous guy and I chose to, like, prioritize my own education over the safety of others? What if I did that? Which is pretty triggering considering um, I was in a pretty abusive relationship my senior year of high school. That makes me feel guilty because other people could be being hurt. Which is a lot for a freshman in college to be dealing with. And no one knew. My parents didn't know about that relationship. They didn't know. And they don't know about what happened to me. Um, Only a couple friends and, like, my husband know. Mm -hmm. Um, And my sister. So it's a lot. It's a lot. It's been a lot to carry. Yeah. Um, And just knowing that there's nothing I can do about any of it can't come forward about the honor code because I'm a semester away from graduating and I don't even know the guy's last name there's no way we could find it he blocked me on mutual like maybe but I deleted my account so like I couldn't even like get a hold of the developers and say do you have my like do you know who this person is you know Mm -hmm. which I feel like those the people who run mutual probably would be very um like supportive you've you've seen that with like bumble Mm-hmm. And stuff. There have been a couple of cases where a woman was like attacked, and they like were able to help basically with their server data. Um, but I deleted my account, and it was like years ago. And right, like he might not even be on there anymore. Uh, yeah, he might not even be a BYU. Yeah, couldn't. Maybe he wasn't a BYU student at all. Mm-hmm. And he told me he was because he knows that there are vulnerable girls on Mutual who are too trusting. Right. So I, just from what I've heard, like, I feel like shame and guilt are always really tied to mm-hmm. being sexually assaulted. But what I find interesting about what you've said is that your shame and guilt is connected to not being able to help others. Yeah. And well, I really admire that. It also makes me really sad because, again, like, you know that it wasn't your fault, but you not being able to control the aftermath is also not your fault. Yeah. Like control was taken from you and sometimes there's just nothing you can do to save other people as well. Yeah. Like the guilt and shame that I felt, you know, it wasn't about the fact that this man's penis had like been inside, you know, like Mm -hmm. that a lot of women feel because I guess it was like, well, I've had sex before. It's, you know, what what I find especially horrifying is when, like, a woman's first time, ex- I don't, I hate calling, like, experiencing sex, because it's not sex, it's rape. Mm-hmm. The first time, like, if a woman's never had sex before and she's raped, that to me is, like, I can't speak for anyone else. It just, my perception of it is that it would be extra, extra horrible. Mm-hmm. But I had experienced that. I had consented to certain activities with this guy, um, and... I a little bit wondered, like, well, 
maybe I didn't fight back enough. Maybe, like, it's not his fault. And, you know, like... And that's a that's another myth, too, that, um, like, we always talk about the fight and flight response mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And what I've learned about trauma is that when you're in extremely traumatic experiences, sometimes your body literally shuts down. Yeah. And when you were talking about just being paralyzed, like, that completely matches mm-hmm. other like sexual assault cases that I've heard about. And I think us perpetuating this idea that you can fight tooth and nail to Mm -hmm. escape those situations, it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, like, the shame and guilt that I felt was not over the actual act that happened. I could kind of accept that it happened. And, and yeah, like, I blamed myself when, when, like, that is the documented response in traumatic situations. But, like... Yeah, it was mostly just about, like, you know, there was nothing I could do in the moment, and there's also nothing I can do after it. And I just felt like there, I had no power over anything. Which, you know, I'm at a point now where I have grown a lot, I have changed a lot, I have learned a lot, and I'm at a point now where, honestly, both of those experiences feel like a completely different person. Hmm. Which, you know, not that I had to repent for being sexual, sexually assaulted, but I think the atonement covers that, right? Absolutely, in, yeah. in, in regards to the emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really happens. Like, I don't mean to make this too churchy, but, like, his grace is sufficient, you know? Like, it, you feel like a different person. And so I feel really lucky that I've been able to kind of like barely like crawl and get my way through this um, because a lot of women, it, it stays with them for their whole life mm-hmm. and they can never really heal. But um, yeah, that also kind of the, the fact that I am okay, you know, sometimes makes me wonder maybe I wasn't assaulted would have been more traumatic for me which is like just ridiculous I shouldn't think that but um yeah I do feel like I'm lucky I guess I don't know but it the the guilt has been a lot to carry trying to like be a young adult and get through school and like meeting my husband and falling in love and getting married you know like Mm -hmm. he's been nothing but supportive and I remember it was on our second date um on our first date, we had, like, talked about some really deep issues in our second one. Um, man, it was, like, we were talking for hours, and we just laid all our deepest, darkest stuff on the table. Wow. So, like, from the get-go with him, it's been, like, trust and vulnerability and openness, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, because I hadn't told anyone, you know? Like, there's no one I could really process it with, but he, he's been so incredible. Yeah. So. Um, well... Do you have anything else about any of that that you would like to add? Hmm. Don't think so. Okay. I feel like I spoke my piece. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. So as you just heard in this interview, Nicole still has some mixed emotions about what she experienced. Attitudes and feelings about sexual assault can change and differ for a lot of people. 
even including sexual assault survivors. So next time we're going to hear from Dr. Melissa Goetz-Jones, a professor at BYU who has studied the attitudes that BYU students have about sexual assault survivors. Special thanks to Abner Apsley for the music, and thank you for joining me today. This is BYU After Me Too. I'm Angela. Thank you.